0: If, uh, if 2020 taught us anything, it was that there is no such thing as a sure thing. The uh, reason I say that is if you call the Creek Church your home, um, you know that we ended 2020 by saying that we were going to be kicking off a brand new series today with Pastor Trevor. And if you're a guest, you may not know this, I am not Trevor. So not. <laughs> Uh, my name's Ryan, actually, and I'm the student pastor, just in case you are a guest. And while I'm on that topic, if you're a guest joining us in London, Somerset, Williamsburg, online, um, I, we are so honored that you are here and that you chose to kick off the first Sunday of a brand new year by making church a part of your life. Uh, and I believe it's the greatest thing that you will ever do. The, the greatest commitment that you can make this year is to make church, uh, being a part of your local church, a part of your life. Uh, 2020 was crazy. Can I get an amen? amen. They amen in London for the other campuses. So I hope you amen too. 2020 was absolutely insane. But one of the things that, that we learned, and really it's astounding that some people had to learn this, was that with all of the craziness came lots of anxiety and depression and mental health issues for lots of people. Um, because regardless of what you think about the events that transpired, there was some stress that took place for all of us. But in, 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 in one study that was done, it was shown that for people who attended church and made church a priority for themselves and for their families regularly, there were, they reported more joy, more contentment, more satisfaction. Uh, and and all, all around, they were just healthier. And what's amazing is the people who did that study, that was astounding information. But for those of us who are Jesus followers and have, have done that, we, we know that there's a reason why being a part of the local church, why it, it gives life and why it brings vitality and why it helps us weather some of life's greatest storms. So if you're here today or you're, you're watching, maybe maybe you didn't wanna come for many, many different good reasons, or maybe you just kind of wanted to dip your toe into the pool that was church before you came um keep doing it keep at it it is the greatest commitment that you can make in 2021 for yourself for your family for your husband for your wife um, it will leave you incredibly changed now if at the end of end of today you 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 know you're like well you know i don't, didn't really like that guy again i'm not trevor come back next week all right he will be here kicking off a brand new series and i will not be offended not even a little bit but this is the season for that this is the season for us to make new commitments and resolu- resolutions and for, to, to, to dream up new goals and to have this picture, this, this, this vision of a better us, of a better family, of, of a better world. and. I know some of us are a little more pessimistic than others and it doesn't make sense why all of a sudden we, make, we wake up one day and it's a brand new day, birds are singing. Now that we put a one at the end instead of a zero, it's a fresh start. It, does, it makes no logical sense, I know. But this is the time that we do that. And maybe for you, New Year's isn't that time. Maybe it's your birthday or maybe it's an anniversary or there's another day throughout the year that has marked your life and that's the season when you look backwards and you celebrate and you're grateful and you're thankful, or you just say, thank you, Jesus, we made it. And you look forward. And, and, and that's what this season is, and that's obviously what we're gonna be talking about today. But before we do that, Obviously, we're gonna start by talking about how, how we look backwards. And this isn't really, the, I don't have a scripture or verse for what I'm about to say, well, actually I do, but it's not the point of the sermon, I just wanted to say it. Because for many of us, when we look back at 2020 and a lot of the stuff that I've heard and I've seen on social media um, that I really just wanted to speak to has been, you know it, it was a tough year. It, it was absolutely tough for, for lots of people for lots of different reasons. And when we look back, it's easy to say, well, because of the circumstances of 2020, I started with goals and hopes and dreams. We all did. I don't know if you remember all the hashtags, 2020 vision. They had the cool little glasses and the zeros were for the eyes and the two and two. I, I remember it. And People had the goals and the hopes and the dreams, but then everything happened. And, and then it became, well, it's okay. We all get a pass for this year because everything under the sun hit the fan. And it's okay if, if you didn't move the ball forward. It's okay if you didn't accomplish the things that you wanted to accomplish because everybody just gets a pass for this year. And I just, I get that because sometimes you need a break right? Sometimes you need a rest. Even Jesus had to take breaks. Like he got kind of exhausted of all of the people that he spent life around. He's like, you see that mountaintop? We're going to do some extreme social distancing. I'm going to go up there. You all stay down here and I'll be back because I, I, I just need a minute. And Jesus, Jesus modeled that. The only problem that I have with saying that about an entire year is I only have so many of these. If if you're new to the creek, um, I don't just mean literal marbles, but a lot of the time when we talk about life and and making an impact and making my days and my years count, uh, you'll see us use jars of marbles or beads because we only have a limited supply. I started my life with my jar full and whenever my life is over, I don't know how many marbles I really get. I overfilled this one because I'm I'm, I'm naming it and claiming it. I, I don't know how many I get, but I. I don't get them back. And even though the circumstances of one year may have been bad, God's not gonna look down at me in heaven and say, well, because you had a bad year, I'm gonna tack one on at the end. Dare I say, based on all the junk food that we ate, and for some of us, the liver damage that was done, you're not getting an extra year. You lost like five. There's no way you're getting extra at the end of this. But I only, as a Jesus follower, I know that I only have so many days. As a father, I know that I only have so many moments and I only have so many years until my children are gone. I only have so much time on this earth to make an impact, to make a difference, to reach people and to leave things better than I found them. My days are numbered and I don't get a pass based on circumstances that I have no control over because spoiler alert, no one knows what 2021 even looks like. We're gonna start it with some naive hope and that's great, we should, but I have no control over many of the circumstances in my life but I do have control over me. And we do have control over how we spend them and the impact that we can still make regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of public health, regardless of anything else, I can still do something and we can still move the ball forward. Because throughout human history, for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, the church has faced a a lot, a lot, a lot. But the mission of God can't stop, won't stop. Our days are numbered. So number your days. Your days are limited. So count them and make them all count. So we're gonna start, and I know it's incredibly painful for all of us, by looking backwards, thinking about what was, thinking about the goals that we set for last year, because odds are you probably set them in some form or fashion, whether you told anybody or not, or wrote them down or not. And we all had things that we wanted to accomplish. We had a version of ourself that we wanted to be. And, and this is the season when we look back and we ask this question, what did I do? Not just what was the, what was the year like? Because we all know the obvious answer to that question, but what did I actually do with the year? Beginning of 2020 to, the, to, to, to right now in this moment, what did I do? What did I accomplish? Because odds are we all started by saying, you know, I, I want to I be better. I want to get rid of the keg and get a six pack. I want to get that beach body. I, you know, maybe for you, your, your marriage has started to devolve a little bit and date night or alone time turns into you and your spouse staring at the same screen together, not saying anything. Maybe you started the year by thinking through some of your anger issues and the ways that you respond to your child. And you you realize that maybe you you need to wield your influence a little bit better. You need to walk a little bit slower, talk a little bit softer. Maybe you wanted to learn a brand new language. You you, you wanted to, to advance in your career. You wanted to write a book. You wanted to visit places. You wanted to do whatever it was. You had hobbies in mind. You, you, you wanted to grow in your walk with Jesus. You wanted it to be, you wanted to move more to, to more than just attending a church on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whenever you attend. You wanted to actually experience God, like, like you read about and you hear pastors and, and some Christians talking about. You wanted, you wanted that. And if you're anything like me, you may not be. It's okay. Uh, if, if you're not, it's probably a good thing. I have more dysfunctions than I can count. But you, you grade yourself, Right? Cause we don't like it when other people judge us, but I don't know about you, I love judging myself. Like I love getting graded. That whole verse about judge not lest ye be judged is like, it's like challenge accepted, yes. And, and, and we'll grade ourselves based off of what we did. And maybe you're still doing, you know, A, B, C, D, F, or maybe it's just kind of like a pass fail system. Like, well, I survived, I'm here. So obviously I passed 2020, Yahtzee. And then the follow-up question to that is, okay, this is what I did, but what could I have done? And this is the question that hurts. Because hindsight's twenty twenty. That's a terrible pun and it was not intended. But hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy to look back and to see how we could have used our marbles, how we could have used our time and our day and our moments a little bit different. And so based on how you answer those questions and how I answer those questions, it fuels, especially this time of year, this angst and this desire for better. And we write down goals and and, and, and resolutions. And this is the time, this is the season when we begin. To flirt with the idea of change. Emphasis on the word flirt, because few of us ever actually go steady with change. I don't know if you noticed that. Change is something that's nice to talk about. It's not, it's not something that many of us are actually going to marry. Because, the, 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 I mean, this is what we do. You, I want to get in better shape, so I'm going to die and you get really good intentions. You, you go and you discover the organic food section. You don't know why. Someone just told you it was better. You buy vitamins for the first time in a really, really long time. You're not sure what they do, but you're told they're healthy for you. Maybe you, you, you buy a treadmill or, you know, you, you, go, you go to Walmart, you go to the little fitness section and you get yourself a 25, some 25-pound 25 dumbbells. You carry them out to the car and it's like, workout over. We'll leave them there for a while. And we flirt with the idea of change. You'll, you know, maybe you scroll through Instagram and you see those guys who are advertising their online workout systems and you're like, I'll buy that. Or you, you, you purchase the book about how to be a better husband or how to be a better wife or power of a praying husband or power of a praying wife. And you're like, this is the year we get our marriage back on track. Or you start looking into some accountability software because maybe for you, your devices are a struggle for you. Or you, you open up to a friend about some, some substance issues you had because it started out as just you know, a drink every now and then. And then after 2020, you're, you, you might be saying, I think I might have an issue. I think I might have a problem. And we start to flirt with the idea of change. You get real interested in in reading your Bible and about two days in you get to all the begatting and you're like, I'm not sure if if I'm cut out for this. And we buy the books and the programs and we have the conversations and we make the resolutions and we flirt with the idea of change because we love the idea of change until we're actually confronted with actually changing. It's a great idea. Like we all want better. No sane person in this room or watching online or in any of our other campuses doesn't want better. It's the price tag attached to better that keeps us from actually changing. Because let's be honest, change is hard. It's not easy. In, In one study actually that was done, there were, it was a group of people who made resolutions and commitments and goals. And they said, I'm gonna change this, 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 this about my life out of all the people studied only 20% actually made any substantial long lasting change. Only 20%. Because it's not easy. It requires us to go against the grain, to, to go against the status quo. And unless we really feel something, our actions, our hearts are always going to go back to the status quo. Unless something happens internally, because what most of us do is what's called behavior modification and it does not work. It works for a season, but unless our hearts and our nature and something inside of us really changes, we don't change. And then to to, to make matters even worse, change, it gets more difficult the older we get. And I I did not write this, this wasn't my idea to put this part in, but it's true right? Because the, the longer you make the same decisions over and over again, you say the same things over and over again, you hang out with the same people over and over again, you drive over the same track, what happens? You make a rut. You make a very well-worn path. And once you get into a very well-worn path, you know what's really hard to do? To get out of it and to carve a new one. And that's why, that's why we have the, the saying, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's hard to change. It's hard to go against the grain. But despite all of that, this time of year, I love it so much. We have this crazy, illogical, unrational idea that we all have the capacity to change. Because when you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Statistically, it doesn't happen unless something dire happens. And why I love this so much about around New Year's, is because our whole world rallies around this idea that you can change, that tomorrow doesn't matter. You are a new creation. The old is gone, but the new has come. And do you know where that idea actually came from? From Jesus. One time a year, the entire world rallies around an idea that found its beginning in a person and that person is Jesus. One time a a year, our entire world teaches and preaches about grace and celebrates it. The only problem is, is they aren't connected to the only source, the only supply that will ever lead to lasting change. And so the question that we all are faced with, even before you came here today, The question of the season, just tis the season, is this. What do I want to change in 2021? Thought about that yet? I say I love this, but I hate making goals. My wife actually makes me do it. Every year on New Year's Day, we'll find ourselves in a car. It's not happened yet this year, because we have a newborn, which means there is no quiet car rides anymore. We have a newborn, a four-year-old, and a five-year-old. So prayers are appreciated. But usually on New Year's Day we'll be driving and she'll pull up her notes app on her phone and she'll be like, Well, here were the goals you set last year. How'd you do? And there is much weeping and, and gnashing and, and wailing. Lots of shame. I'll get really mad at the past version of myself because like you were in it, you were a ambitious little punk. I don't like you. And then then she'll be like, Okay, well what about this year? Like, what do you wanna do? You want to do? How, how do you, do you wanna be different? We've not done that yet this year, but it's something that I've been thinking about. You know, I've set a few that I've not told her yet, a few, a few goals for myself, and odds are you probably have some things in your own life. So some goals that you've, you've already set. And I think this is a good question. Whether you're here watching, joining us from wherever, this is a good question for all of us to answer, regardless of what we think about Jesus, regardless of if we call ourselves a Christian, regardless of your spiritual maturity, regardless of why you're here, we should all strive for better. But for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, there's a more important question. And it's this, what does God want for me in 2021? Because I don't know about you, I, I I feel like I make really great plans until they happen, and I realize that probably wasn't worth what I paid for it. That probably wasn't wasn't worth the hype. I probably should have focused on something that's a little bit more significant. And so, today, in what time we have left, that's what this is. What I want us to answer is: What does God want for us? And for some of you, that's a new idea. Because anytime you hear about God, or you hear about church, you think about, you think about a God, you think about a group of people that want something from you, that want to keep you from the life that you want to live. But the truth is, and Jesus proved it, that God wants better for you. He doesn't want to take anything from you, but he wants to give you a better life, true life, real life, the life that you've dreamed about, eternal life. He doesn't want to take anything from you. And so we're going to answer this question and we're going to not just answer the question of what it looks like, what our target is. Because the goal is by the end of our time together for us to have a clear target of what we need to aim for in 2021. But then to also talk about how we can begin to change our heart and our nature. Because we can have the best target in the world. You can have the greatest goals in the world. But until we tap into the life-changing power that God has given us, we will see no change. All it will be is behavior modification for a month, tops. And we start to find our answer in a letter written by the apostle Paul. And he was writing this letter to some Jesus followers in a region known as Galatia. If you don't know where that is, check out the back of your Bible later, look at the maps, you'll find it. But the people that he's writing to, they had some, some church hurt. I don't know, I don't know if you can you can you know resonate with that if 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 that's part of your experience too. But they they believed, they were a part of the church, they were Christians, they were Jesus followers, they believed in Jesus, they believed all that. But they decided to walk away, not because of Jesus, but because of the people in the church. Makes sense, doesn't it? It really does. Because I I found most people walk away from faith, not because of Jesus, but because of the people in the church, because of circumstances. It's not God that they have a problem with. It's usually those of us inside of the church. It's normally something like hypocrisy. It's what we say or how we speak or how we talk about other people. And Paul's going to write these these Jesus followers who have walked away from the church and he's going to say, don't give them that kind of power over you. What God has for you is so much better. So don't walk away just because they hurt your feelings. Don't give them that much power over you. God has better in mind for you. So though it may hurt, come back, be a part of the church, make it better, walk through this together. Don't you dare walk away because God has better for you. And here's how you start to do that. And Paul says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit and you will not go the wrong way. Walk by the spirit and 2021 will be a banner year for you. Walk by the spirit and 2021 will be the year that everything changed for you and yours. And you began to see your entire world change. And already some of you are like, pastor hit the break. Because anytime in church I've found that we begin to talk about the spirit that goes a lot of different ways because for for many of us, myself included, we have a very practical faith and for good reason, because the teachings of Jesus are very, very practical. Love your neighbor. Very, very practical. Do good. Be generous. Very, very practical. And, And we should have a very practical faith. But we have to realize that our very practical faith is also incredibly, remarkably supernatural. We believe in a virgin birth, y'all, that's not normal. Like we believe in things that when people look at and think about are remarkably not normal. We believe that God became a man and that that man performed signs and miracles that he died on a cross, three days later, he rose from the grave, that's supernatural. Our faith may be practical and logical, but we are also supernatural. And not only do we believe in supernatural things, but we are supernatural ourselves. Scripture tells us that when a person decides to place their faith in and upon Jesus, something happens, they become a new creation and God indwells them with his spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes a part of us. Don't ask, ask me how it works. I can't draw you a diagram, it's just what it says. And we are indwelt with the spirit of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that gave Samson the strength to destroy a a pagan temple, that spirit, the spirit that hovered above the waters in the book of Genesis, that spirit is inside of us. Of us, and God puts it within us as his down payment, his promise, his seal that he will finish what he started. He began a good work in you and he will finish it. You may struggle, you may fall flat on your face, but God is in you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's why the Holy Spirit in other places is called God's deposit, his seal. And we have that supernatural spirit in us. Incredibly, incredibly awesome when you think about it, and I know maybe if you were raised Baptist, that kind of freaks you out a little bit, and and, and depending on you know what what different branch of, of of church you you were brought up in, you may look at other people and think, well, they don't have enough of the Holy Spirit, or we have you know they have too much of the Holy Spirit, or we're baby bears Pilgridge and we have just enough of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about all of that, but what I do know is that what Paul tells, tells us and what scripture tells us is that we have this amazing, powerful thing that God has given us. And all we have to do is to walk by the spirit. And this is where it gets practical. Because I don't know if you've ever walked with anybody. It's an incredibly practical thing. You, 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 you get next to them and you match them step for step. And it, you gotta kind of be intentional because some people, they walk kind of wonky and they can get sideways and you have to make sure you're intentional to stay beside them. And it just means you are keeping in step with the spirit of God. And how you begin to do that, it's so, it's so great. Listen, how you begin to learn how to walk by the spirit, you read the word of God. You pray. You spend time with God's people. You serve, you give, you're generous. And I know what you're thinking, bro, those are like Sunday school answers. Usually the most profound change comes from the most simple of things. I don't know if you've ever decided, you know, that uh, I, feel, I feel like all, all guys, I don't know if it's the same for girls, Not don't have your experience, sorry. But most boys go through a phase where it's like, I wanna get big and swole. And so they go in the gym and they're like, all right, how do I get big and swole? And you point to a weight, you're like, you see that? Yeah, lift it. And so they do it. They're like, okay, now what? You see that? Yeah, lift that. That's all, yes, that, that's all there is to it. Just lift that heavy thing over and over and over again. And then come back tomorrow and do it again. It really is that simple. You want to lose weight. What do you do? Don't eat that. Yeah, but isn't there some kind of like, isn't there some special I can take, something special I can do? I mean, sure you could, but it's really as simple as don't eat that, eat that. It's incredibly, profoundly simple. And walking by the Spirit is incredibly profound, profoundly simple. And as we begin to do those very simple things, like get into the Word of God, pray and spend time with God, spend time with the people of God, we learn more about what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. And the more you do those simple things, the deeper and the greater and the better it becomes. And as we do that, a process takes place called sanctification. It's a super churchy word. But all it means is that as we walk by the spirit of God, God makes us more into who he made us to be. And we begin to live and experience that better life that we dream about. But Paul goes on because it's not that simple. For the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Basically, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, you're alive, so I'm assuming you have. It's like there's these two forces inside of you just duking it out all the time. In other places, Paul's gonna talk about and he's gonna say, I wanna do good, but there's something inside of me that keeps me from doing the good that I want to do. And for some reason, I keep doing the bad. In other place, he calls it his thorn in the flesh. And it's an experience that for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, we all have, because we have the powerful spirit of God inside of us and it will finish what it started. But we also still have a piece of our old self, this thing called the flesh. And they're duking it out for control over our hearts, for control over our lives. And we have a choice. Every single day you have a choice of which nature you're going to let win, of which side you're going to follow. And Paul's gonna go on as he's talking to the Galatians and he's gonna paint the picture of two trees. and He's gonna say, it's like there's there's two different trees that you can choose to live by. There's two different paths. And depending on which path you choose, there's gonna be consequences. You're gonna live by the fruit of that tree And if you choose the the, the path of the flesh, if you choose the path of sin, if you choose the wrong path, well, it's obvious what happens. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, Deluding God's ideal of what sexuality looks like. Treating people more like items to be used rather than human beings with immense value made in the image of God. It looks like affairs. It looks like inappropriate relationships. It looks like second, third, and fourth glances that become too much. It looks like taking something that God made holy and very, very good and treating it as mundane and gross and wrong, impurity and debauchery. when I read that word debauchery, I just thought, oh, okay, no crazy parties. But the word debauchery, it actually means an excess that causes us to neglect our duty anything that we do in excess that causes us to not be the father or the mother or the grandparent or the aunt or the uncle or the Christian or the world changer or whatever it is that God puts you here to be anything that that when you do it in excess it keeps you from that whether it's staring at your phone too much watching too much television drinking too much eating too much being unhealthy anything that you allow to master you that keeps you from your God-given purpose idolatry and that's putting anything in, the, in God's place that shouldn't be there. Witchcraft, which is really the word for drugs. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will never experience better. And though we would all agree that you're not going to experience better if you go this way in small ways, every day we go back to that tree in small ways, every day, we'll, we'll make the wrong decision and we'll compromise and we'll focus on the things that we shouldn't focus on and we'll let the wrong voices in our lives win and you'll work longer and neglect your children and you'll allow anger to take place and you'll use excuses like, I'm just tired, I need to veg out and I can't, I can't do for other people what I need to do. I can't talk to them right now. I can't go and do that. I need to take care of me. But then Paul comes in and says, but there's another tree and there's another way and it's a far better way because it's God's tree and the fruit of the spirit is love. And the word he uses here is agape love. It's God-like love. It's love that would rather, that would throw yourself in front of a bullet to save someone else. It's love that lays down yourself for somebody else. It's a choice to place other people first to your own detriment, because we would rather harm suffer us than it suffer others. And that is the kind of love that has been a staple of Christianity from day one. It's not one among the Christian virtue, it is the Christian virtue because you cannot be a Christian and not have love. Joy, and joy is is contentment. Joy is more than just a shallow happiness, but it's a contentment and a hope based on the fact that we can trust God no matter what, that he promises to take our worst scenario or any scenario and work good and better for it. Peace peace that will stay in, in, in the bow of the boat when the storm is raging because we know that God's got this, that we've got this because God's got us. Forbearance. Forbearance is, is, is the thing that doesn't seek to get even but would rather, would rather suffer ourselves. Forbearance sees through love in relationships, kindness, leaking God and leaking grace on other people in small ways every single day in every interaction. Goodness, and this isn't just, oh, you're a good boy or a good girl, but strong, stout goodness. The goodness of Daniel when he faced down kings and he said, I will not compromise and I will not bow down. Though you may slay me, though you may kill me, I choose God. Faithfulness sees it through to the end. Gentleness treats people with great value because they are made in the image of God. And when we believe people are valuable, we handle them differently. We'll walk a little slower. We'll put gloves on. We won't be as harsh in self-control. Self-control that says, even though I can, doesn't mean I should. That rather than letting something master me, I will be mastered by nothing other than God. I will keep my impulses in check. I will keep my desires in check for the good of others. And against such things, because, and he says such things because that list isn't exhaustive. The fruit of the spirit, the, the, the fruit of the spirit, all you have to do is read through the scriptures and look at the attributes of God and look at what God is like. Because the fruit of the spirit goes on. Anything that God is, is a fruit of following him. Against such thing, there is no law. So the question really is, how do we do that? Because we all want to be the best version of ourselves. We all want to be better. I want to be better. You want to be better. We want to leave the world a better place. We want to to, to pass our faith on to to our children and to the next generation. We want to see the kingdom of God grow in our time. How do we do that? And Paul goes on, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And this, isn't the, this is the not so pretty part because we have two natures. It's almost like there's two versions of ourselves. There's the good version and our dark doppelganger. And Paul's saying that dark version of yourself, you have to put it on the cross and you have to let it die. The thing about crucifixion though, is that it's a slow death. And the whole time that sinful nature is up there on the cross saying, if you would just let me down, I promise it won't be as bad this time. If you, if you, if you would just get me down off of this cross, I promise you can have the good life and you can have a little bit of this life too. If, if, you, if you'll just lean and you can just work a little bit harder, you can just look one time, you can just do this once, you can compromise once, it's okay, just, just let me down. Because the flesh, it doesn't want to die. Even though the spirit puts the flesh on the cross, we're the ones who usually get that part of ourselves back down and sabotage ourselves. Because I don't know about how it plays out in your story, but no one has done more harm to me in my story than me. No one has helped me out more than God and no one has undermined the progress that God has brought me than me. It's this process that is called mortification. It's the church word for it. It's the process of dying to ourselves. And if I'm, if I'm being honest, because I should, it's my job, right? I went through seasons in my life where there were parts of myself that I didn't want to die because it was a part of me and it hurts. And surely I can just have a little bit of that and I can have my cake and eat it too. And it's not gonna hurt anybody or anything. I can still be good. I can have this little teeny tiny bit. C.S. Lewis wrote a allegorical story called The Great Divorce. And and in this story, there is a character who goes to what essentially for him is purgatory. We'll call him Bob. And I'm not saying purgatory is weird. So uh, purgatory is real. So Protestants chill. But he goes there. When he gets to purgatory, he's met by an old friend of his who's already died and gone to the kingdom of God. And his old friend meets him. And he's like, when they told me you were finally here, I made a beeline here. I asked them if I could come and I could walk you the rest of the way to God's kingdom because it's so great and it's so worth it. In the life, the life that Jesus came to give you, you cannot imagine how good it is, how good the fruit of that tree is. And I can't wait to walk you through. Now it's gonna be a tough journey and it's not gonna be easy and it's gonna be painful, but I'm here for you. I'm here to root you on. I'm here for whatever you need. So let's go. And as Bob is following his friend, as C.S. Lewis tells the story, there's this little lizard on his shoulder. And the lizard would whisper every now and then, it's too painful, this hurts too much. Why don't you just, just just a little break, just a little rest, just a little compromise, just a little bit. And and Bob would start to, to slow down and his friend would look at him and he would be like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired. And if I, keep, if I keep going, this part of myself, this lizard right here, it's, it's gonna die. And I can't stand to lose. I like, I've had this my whole life and I can't stand to lose this. I've counted on this. This is my release. This is my comfort. This is my joy. The rest of this is painful and drudgery. I need this little bit. And the man's friend ba- banters back and forth with him about how much better God's way is how much better that tree is, how much better it is when we go that direction, when we walk by the spirit of God. And the man, he he starts to take the lizard off, but as he does, the lizard screams, no, you're killing me, you're killing me, it hurts. You don't understand, if you do this, I will die and you will lose me forever and you will never experience that part of life, ever. And the man puts the lizard back. And finally, the man's friend comes over, grabs the lizard off his back, yanks it off, throws it on the ground and stomps on it and kills it. And if I'm honest, doesn't that sound, that, there's a, a part of that that just sounds awful because I was told that God loves me, all of me, the good parts and the bad parts. And that seems like, why doesn't God love that bad part too? Well, that lizard was brought back to life and was brought back to life as a beautiful stallion that the man was able to get on and ride the rest of the way. It's not about killing a part of you. It's not about losing something that you'll never gain back. It's about gaining life and gaining hope and gaining better and going the way of Jesus because it's so much better than anything that you can ever imagine. All too often, we we look at the wrong tree. We look at the wrong things and we tell ourselves, I'm gonna go God's way. So I'm gonna look at these bad things and say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I won't, I won't, I won't do that. And when we do that, eventually we do. It's called ego erosion. The longer we look at the wrong things and say we won't, eventually we will. It's what happens. What we have to do instead is set our sights on God's tree. Is set our sights on God's way. Is walk by the spirit and say, I will. That is better, that is worth it. That version of me, that is who I want to be. And whether it's put, you, you put the verse of, found in Galatians five about the fruit of the spirit, you put it on your wall, you write it on your hand, I don't care what you do, but you always keep in front of you what better looks like so that when you feel yourself start to look at the flesh crucified on that tree, you look back at what God died to give you and you say, that is worth it, that is what I want. That is better. So I will let that part of me die because I know that God will bring it back better. That he will repay tenfold anything that I feel like I have lost. And so here's, here's how I think we practically start to do that. Following Jesus, there's a lot of parts to that. It can be as complex as we wanna make it or as simple as we wanna make it. And call me a simple man, I like the simple way. A couple years ago, Pastor Trevor did a talk with the staff and later on he turned it into a message for our church about looking at the attributes of God, the life that God wants for you and just picking one part of it to chase. And as you hyper-focus on that one part, something else happens, everything else gets thrown in. So what's your word? What do you lack? For me, the first year I I heard that, that message, that talk, it was joy which is surprising for most people because I smile all the time. It's hard to tell now with the masks, but I still do. My face is broken, even when I'm not supposed to smile. But true joy, feeling that is something that I've never had. And I chose that word and I focused on that word. And as I would read scripture and have conversations and read books, I was always looking for a word about joy. And in every moment, in every situation, when I felt it drifting, I would try to find the joy in the circumstance. Now I'm not gonna tell you that I was joyful all year long. But at the end of the year, at the end of the year, something happened in my marriage and it was, it was different and it was better. Something happened for me as, as a father and I had made progress and my heart had changed towards my children and my heart had softened towards, towards my wife and something happened to me as, as a pastor and as a Christian, just as a human being by focusing on that one thing. So what's your word? Take some time. Maybe when you get home, if you have kids, wait until they go to bed. Read through what Paul wrote and pray and ask God, God, what is the thing that I need to focus on? As I'm trying to walk with you, to walk by your spirit, what is it? Ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your best friend, because I promise you they'll be able to help. And then write it down. Write it down on a card, make it a shirt. I don't care what you do but keep it in front of you always. And as we do that, as we do the work, God's powerful spirit within us changes everything. Let me pray for us. God, this year, this year, we choose your way. I choose your way. And so I pray that as we leave this place and and we, we go home, we go to lunch, that you would help us to carve out some intentional time to get with you, to seek, the life that you died to give us. And God, help us to find what it is that we lack. Give us a vision of what could be and what should be for us in this year, and then help us to chase after it, no matter the circumstances, no matter what comes our way, to chase after love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, And then we know that your spirit will do the rest. In your son's name of Jesus, amen. Well, hey, thank you all so much for making, making the creek a part of your new year, for making the church a part of your new year. I hope that you'll do that and I hope that you'll pick a word and I hope that you will chase after God because God promises that when we chase after him, when we seek him, we will find him. And there is nothing better than when we get to experience God and the life he came to give us. Next week, Pastor Trevor will be here. We will kick off that series that we promised. I know I told you there's no such thing as a sure thing, but I think that's a sure thing. So thank you guys so much. Hope you have a great Sunday and we'll see you back here next week.